This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The Eurozone's economy has begun a fragile turnaround since European Central Bank head Mario Draghi announced late last year that the institution would do whatever it takes to backstop the euro. For the first part of 2013, that meant the economy was still losing ground, but at a slowing rate. The region finally reversed course and grew by 0.2% in the second quarter. But don't expect that quarterly figure to climb much above 0.5% over the next year or two which means a jobless recovery is likely. Knowledge at Wharton spoke with Wharton management professor Mauro Guillen to see where things are heading. We're meeting today with Mauro Guillen, a Wharton management professor, to talk about the state of play in Europe. Thanks for being with us today, Mauro. Thank you for inviting me. The 18-month-long recession in Europe looks like it has ended, officially at least. Uh, there was, in the second quarter, growth of 0.2%, not a huge number, but certainly better than going down. Uh, and that, all, in addition to that, manufacturing expanded for the first time in two years. So there's been the first positive results. But is that uh, likely to continue? Uh, what's your view of what those numbers mean? And it certainly hasn't affected the unemployment situation very much yet. Well, not yet, because as you know, unemployment is a lagging indicator, and it takes much more than 0.2% growth to bring unemployment down. And, uh, you know, Europe has been going through a a double-dip recession. So there was one immediately after the financial crisis, and then there was a second one. And it has affected some countries, of course, more than others, as you very well know, especially the southern periphery. Uh, Now, is this likely to continue in that uh, trend along that uh, slow growth trend? Uh, Probably yes. I'm not expecting in the next uh, year or two or three for growth to accelerate. I'm not expecting, you know, a third uh, dip right, either, right? So I think uh, growth will probably stay within, you know, 0.2%, 0.5%, 0.6% or so for the next year or two until all of the economies in the area make adjustments. One worry is that this could be a jobless recovery so that you have some economic improvement in certain indicators, but the one that really matters uh, to most people is unemployment. What do you think the prospects are for a jobless recovery? Well, it will be jobless to the extent that it is so timid, uh, so slow, Right. If uh, these economies were growing now at two or three percent, then I think we would show we would see very quickly much more improvement in unemployment. But you're asking a very important question, which is prior to the crisis in some of these countries, we had certain sectors of the economy that were employing a lot of people, retail, construction and so on and so forth. And uh, there's still a big question mark as to whether retail will recover quickly. And that's a major employment uh, area right in Europe, as it is in the United States. And, of course, I think there's a huge question mark as to whether construction or real estate in general will again generate uh, a lot of jobs. So I think, uh, you know, it is better to be cautious uh, about the job prospects because, again, not all of the adjustments have been made. Not all countries in Europe have um, regained the competitiveness that they lost over the last 10 years before the crisis hit. The recovery, such as it is in Europe, is very uneven, of course. Uh, France and Germany are doing reasonably good, whereas the southern countries, many of them, Spain, Portugal, Greece, notably, are still struggling mightily. Could you talk about the prospects for 
for those two blocks of countries? Uh, yes, I would actually draw the map a little bit differently and for the following reasons. So, as you know, more than half of all of the exports of European countries go to other European countries, and most of that to other European uh, Eurozone countries. And uh, what we also know is that uh, they all compete against each other in the same categories of goods, right? There's tremendous overlap, right? And especially there's a lot of overlap uh, between Germany on the one hand and France, Italy, and Spain on the other. So of those four economies, which are the large Eurozone economies, the one, the one that has made the most adjustments so far is Spain. Not enough, though, because Spain has regained about one-third of the competitiveness that it lost uh, before the crisis in the last uh, 10 or 12 years. But Italy has done very little. And as you know, politically, Italy is a big mess right now. And France, incredibly, has actually regained no ground relative to Germany, although France and Germany overlap in 70% of the product markets in which they operate. That is to say, they, French and German companies compete head-on, right, to a very large extent, right? So there are better signs in Spain than there are in Italy and France, although you are correct in saying that actually the French economy, surprisingly, uh, has actually left the recession and now it's growing. And then when you look at the smaller countries like Portugal, Greece, and Ireland, the one that has made the biggest adjustments is actually Ireland. So, so far, it has regained maybe half of the competitiveness that it had lost, uh, followed by Greece and Portugal. Portugal actually has regained very little, right? So, remember, again, these countries need time to adjust because they could devalue their currency. They couldn't do a, an external devaluation. In the absence of that, they need to do a very painful and very slow internal devaluation, which means they need to adjust their wages, that they need to increase their productivity. That takes a while. And again, so far, what we see is that Ireland and Spain have made the most progress along those lines. And Portugal and Italy have done the least. And France uh, actually doesn't score that well, and neither uh, does um, uh, Portugal, as I just uh, mentioned. So, so there's, we, we start to see some difference. Now, this doesn't mean, this does not mean at all that France is going to be a big problem there. All I'm saying is that uh, they've lost some time. They haven't adjusted yet, right? And the gap between, let's say, German competitiveness and French competitiveness still remains, right? They haven't closed that gap. That's what the latest numbers show. The uh, countries you mentioned that are struggling but have made some progress, uh, well, not so much Portugal, but uh, Greece and Ireland, they're doing that through austerity policies, correct? Mm -hmm. And if that austerity is going to work, is going to bring them back to competitiveness, how much longer would that take? How, yeah. how long does this process have to go on? It's been going on a very long time already. Yeah. Well, the reforms that they've been implementing are not just uh, trying to reduce the budget deficit. In fact, uh, some countries have been much more effective than that, at that than the ones that I mentioned. So, for example, Spain has not been very good at reducing the budget deficit, but it has been quite good at reforming the labor market and at reducing costs to the point that Spain actually prior to the crisis had a uh, deficit in the balance of payments, that is to say was importing much more than it was exporting. And for the first time now in 25 years, as of uh, the last few months, it is exporting much more than what is important. And that's a sign that, you know, they're becoming more competitive and companies are finding a way of selling outside of the domestic market. And of course, the domestic market is very much depressed, right? Um, so, so again, I mean, it really depends on what part of the economy you're looking at. I think it is very important for these countries to regain their competitiveness because, again, they lost so much of it relative not just to the emerging economies but also to Germany, right? 
and to Holland and to Austria, the, 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 the competitive countries within Europe. So they need to regain that ground that they lost over the last 15 years. And again, over the last two or three years with austerity policies, they've managed to close some of that gap. But the, the, the interesting part of all of this is that they haven't been able to really bring down the government deficit because, of course, they still have very high unemployment, so they have to spend a lot of money on um, uh, unemployment insurance. Uh, but they have been able to close the comp at least part of the competitiveness uh, gap. And again, the number one country in terms of closing that gap so far has been Ireland. It has closed about half of it. The second one is Spain. The third is, you know, interestingly, Greece. Whereas France, Italy, Portugal have closed none of that gap, right, or just very little of it, right? So, so the disadvantage that they had three or four years ago, they're still facing that same disadvantage. They haven't adjusted. Right? There's several things that you need to adjust here, not just the government finances, but also the labor market and also your, your costs, right? Because that, all of those things will, in the end, uh, help you be more competitive. So two years from now, where do you think the Eurozone will be growth-wise? And it's obviously an average of all of these countries. Some I of think which it depends on, uh, or in general, where the Eurozone will be, uh, you know, whether it will exist. I think it depends on what mix of short-term and medium-term policies, uh, you know, the governments introduce or they agree to introduce, right? So what we know is that uh, for the Eurozone to grow, we certainly need Germany and France, the largest economies, Italy and Spain, to grow, right? So, so far, we have some growth in Germany, some growth in France, still not a lot of growth in Spain, although the direction of change is the correct one. I think the biggest problem is in Italy, quite frankly, because Italy has not made adjustments. Politically, it's very complicated, right? And uh, you see, Italy, of all of these countries, is the one that overlaps the most with Germany. Italy makes automobiles, they make machine tools, they make chemicals, they make all of the things that the Germans also make. So they have a, you know, unless they change their ways in a serious way, they're going to have a lot of trouble. They're going to have a lot of trouble because there's another member country in the same trade block that is so much more competitive and they virtually almost entirely overlap with them in terms of what they sell in markets, right, in global markets. So in some ways, Italy is the country to watch over the next couple I of years? I think right now, well, it is the country that I worry about. And quite frankly, I, I wish the Italian economy the best, and I think it would be very good for the rest of Europe if Italy made progress in terms of becoming more competitive. But quite frankly, so far, the figures don't look any good. And the other country that, you know, for which the figures don't look any good, in spite of this very recent uh, GDP growth uh, number, is France. Because France, once again, for another set of reasons, has not really adjusted. It wasn't that much under pressure from the markets, right, as the other countries. So it has been so much slower when it comes to making uh, reforms and uh, ad making adjustments so that it can become more competitive. In Europe, uh, tight credit continues as banks are reluctant to lend. Is there any light at the end of this dark tunnel? Well, not yet. And the problem, of course, is that unlike here in the United States, the Europeans have been very slow at cleaning up of the balance sheets of banks, very slow, no matter where you look. Even in the healthy economies in Germany, the banks are still saddled, right? Because they made, uh, you know, many wrong investments, not so much in real estate, but rather in securities and uh, in some of those exotic, uh, exotic instruments. And of course, they also purchased quite a bit of uh, bad government debt from uh, Southern Europe. So what we have in Europe is essentially uh, a set of economies that are so much more reliant on bank credit. You see, 
the problem in Europe gets so bad and it's so important because European companies rely on loans from banks to a much greater extent than American companies do. Because here in the United States, we have the equity markets and the bond markets are so much more developed than in Europe. So European firms depend on banking, on banks and bank finance to a much greater extent than American firms. And yet the European governments have been much slower at cleaning the banks and making sure that they can go back to being the main source of funding for companies and giving credits. Uh, so this is a big problem. And as you know, there's another problem, of course, which is the Eurozone needs in the, in the medium run, so let's say three to five years from now, not immediately, but three to five years, they need to set up an institutional framework that can support the common currency. And that would be a fiscal union, as we know, right, on the side of government finances. But then on the part of, uh, on the side of the financial system, it would be a uh, banking union, that is to say a single supervisory authority. So that framework is still absent. As you know, there's a lot of conversations going on. There's a lot of negotiations. One would hope that uh, a return to normal might be possible when they have those institutions in place. But that's going to take, you know, I think, three to five years. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.